Okay, well, a big hello. Welcome everyone to a heart to heart with adoption influencers. My name is Amanda Alberti, adoption counselor and birth parent post placement support manager here at Adoptions from the Heart. I am honored to be your host for this evening's exciting event. So as many of you may know, November is National Adoption Month. And what better way to celebrate than to hear from the voices of those who have lived it. On the surface, adoption is seen as a beautiful way of building families. But it's also important to recognize that there are many layers to this process. As a community, we must recognize that adoption is not always a happy experience. And with the joy, can also come pain. Our agency, Adoptions from the Heart, was first founded in 1985 by Maxine Chalker. Maxine is an adoptee herself and wanted to give adoption a new face by breaking down the barriers and taking some of the mystery out of the adoption process. Since then, our agency has worked hard to provide supportive services for all of our clients and truly represent all members of the adoption triad. Over 35 years later, AFTH has grown to be so much more than a placing agency, and we are determined to continue the movement of taking away the stigma of adoption. We believe in spreading positive awareness and positive adoption practices by helping to educate our society through the voices of those who have experienced it. Our goal for tonight is to shed light on social media influencers who have successfully used their internet platforms as a tool to highlight and help educate the world about their adoption journeys. Tonight, we have six amazing panelists who are going to share with us their experiences with adoption. You may recognize some of these faces as they have shared their life online and have left a powerful impact on the community we work with. We are excited to share with you all the amazing work that each of them are involved in. So without further ado, let's welcome our panelists tonight. Our first panelist is Ashley Mitchell. Ashley is a birth mother and the owner of Big Tough Girl. She is the founder and executive director of Lifetime Healing Foundation, which seeks increased care, understanding, and resources for birth mothers. Welcome, Ashley. Our second panelist is Taylor Chenette. Taylor is an international adoptee, adoption advocate, and content creator. She was adopted at nine months old from China and now lives in Florida. Taylor has over 120 million followers on TikTok where she shares her experience as an international adoptee. Welcome, Taylor. Next up, we have Isaac Eder. Isaac is an adoptee, activist, and social entrepreneur. Isaac was transracially adopted at the age of two. He is the founder of Identity, a startup focused on providing accessible, diverse, and ethical adoptions and foster care education. Welcome, Isaac. What's up? Happy to be here. Next up, we have Grace Otley. Grace is an AFTH international adoptee and was adopted at the age of one. Grace also happens to be Miss Delaware 2022. She will be attending the Miss America pageant. Grace's social impact initiative has been adoption and her hope is to help give a voice to adoptees and take away the stigma of adoption. Welcome, Grace. Hi, Amanda, thanks for having me. Then we have Courtney Tierra. Courtney is a birth mother, educator, and author. She recently wrote and published a children's book, Worthy, a book for kids of all ages. It was created to help parents teach young children the importance of self-worth. Welcome, Courtney. Hey, y'all. Then we have Melissa, who I don't know if I'm going to pronounce your last name correctly, Gouda Richards. Melissa is an adoptee, advocate, educator, and author. Her viral essay, My Adoptive Parents Hid My Racial Identity From Me for 19 Years, was published in Huffington Post in April of 2019. She soon launched the Adoptee Thoughts Instagram and podcast to help elevate adoptee voices and educate adoptive parents, parents on the nuances and complexity of adoption. Let's welcome Melissa. Okay, again, thank you to all of our panelists. We're excited to learn a lot about you and all the positive work that you're doing in our community. All right, let's get started, guys. So as I mentioned during my introduction, in addition to all of our guest panelists being members of the adoption triad, um, they all have something in common. They have used social media to share their experience and bring awareness to adoption. So why don't we start from the beginning? 
why don't each of you talk about what inspired you to use social media and how have you found success in using your platform to share your connection to adoption? Ashley, I'm going to pick on you first. <laughs> I knew that. Why did I know that was coming? Um, well, I am just so excited to be here. I'm definitely not cool enough to have TikTok or be an author or anything like that. So, um, and I've been in the social media world for a very, very long time. I started writing about my story when I was using like an old blog spot, like, um, like a million years ago. Um, and for me, you know, I have seen so much courage in other people not related to adoption that have been sharing their stories that inspired me you know, um, through my years in grief of trauma, after I placed my son, um, six, he'll be 17 in the spring of 2023. Um, and so I've been in this open adoption space for a long time, but during those first five years, we had a closed relationship and there was so much self-destructive behavior, um, a lot of, you know, substance use. And, um, there was time in jail. I almost killed someone in a drunk driving accident. We had a lot of stuff. We had a lot of stuff. Because I came from an, um, even 2016 or 2006 when I placed, people weren't talking about the grief and trauma. It was non-existent. And um, especially, you know, I'm here in Utah. And so it was very um, rooted in church culture here. And so we did this amazing thing. And then we have the second chance at life and we get to move on. And none of that was matching what I was feeling physically, but it was the narrative that I was getting from every direction. And so while I was trying to numb all of that and do all of that in my own ways and hide that secret pain, um, I ended up with a failed suicide attempt and ended up locked in a mental health facility. Um, and it wasn't until then when I had doctors and trauma-informed therapists that could really put a name to it and really give me the support I needed. And then I needed to just bleed it out. Like I had to get it out. Um, and so I just started writing. I just started blogging for myself, really. It wasn't, I really never believed that anyone would ever find it or hear it. And like 90% of my extended family learned about my placement through reading a blog that I wrote. Like, I do not recommend that, but that's how everyone found out was a national <laughs> blog. But it started for me just, I needed to be able to name it and own it and process it. And for me, that came from writing. And so that's how it started for me. And just slowly from that space, I had these just silent whispers and sacred emails of women that were just like, you're saying everything that I can't say. And, and that's where it started in a, just a very humble, I think I paid like 50 bucks for someone to design like a cute little header and matching buttons down the side of a blog. And uh, I know I'm aging myself by talking about that, but it just really sacred emails during that time that came out right so early on when it was so raw for me you know, grief and trauma lies to you and makes you believe that you're the only person and that your story is so unique and so hard that no one will ever understand you. And when I started to write and women started to come out and share their stories with me, I was like, oh, I'm not the only birth mom in the world. That's amazing. And so it just started to trickle from there, but that's where it started. It started from me needing to get it out of my head and heart space and put it on paper for journaling for myself. I think that perspective and journaling my head and heart space has carried through the last 12 years of my social media presence. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Yeah. How about for you, Melissa, what made you feel ready to use social media as the next step in your journey? Yeah. So I think for me as a late discovery adoptee, I, I saw the power of connecting on social media very early on. Uh, I didn't have like adoptee spaces in person and I didn't really know who to reach out to. So in the beginning, 10 years ago, I'm 29 now, but at 19, I started Googling like adoptee support groups and stuff like that. So it led me to Facebook groups and I was kind of exposed to the adoptee culture there. But it wasn't until I think 2019, after I my first essay went viral that I really saw the impact of sharing your story. And I was really empowered by that. And I started receiving like hundreds of emails from fellow adoptees, biracial people and multiracial people who could really 
relate to the struggle of growing up in a predominantly white family and not feeling like they belonged. And so it, it that's when like that spark hit and I was like, oh yeah, like like Ashley, I didn't feel alone anymore. My, my story did have like some, certain complexities to it, but a lot of adoptees go through similar things. And so I was like, well, if I'm struggling through this, let me share what I'm going through. And through that, I found the power of sharing my story and I was able to connect with so many different people uh, adoptees, former foster youth, uh, adopted parents, and adoptive professionals. And I found beauty in that. And that's what kind of really inspired me to keep talking because on social media, what's so beautiful is that you can post something, um, you have a deep thought about something that's happening in the world or something that happened to you, share a video. And then the next thing you know, you're connecting with thousands of people across the world. And so that's how I, I kind of got into it. And I really started posting a lot, I would say like a year and a half, two years ago. And I've slowly built up a community. And it's so wonderful just to have those connections with people. And like back in the day when I was growing up, I was a millennial. I was told like, oh, don't meet people on the internet. Like they're scary. Like never meet up with someone online. <laughs> That's not what you should do. So like learning that the internet can be such a source of good was like really refreshing and definitely um, inspired me to explore different things. So I've slowly been reaching out to like TikTok and that type of thing. Um, so it, it's just been a journey from there. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, I, I agree. I think sometimes people are very cautious of social media. So I'm happy that you're able to use it in a positive way. And I think that's why we're having an event like tonight so that we can share with people the good, right? How about for you, Isaac, what made you kind of take the next step and decide to use social media in your career and, and kind of highlighting your, your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think for me, it was like kind of just wanting to share initially just like what I was doing uh, because I didn't really start on social media. I started just by being a speaker and, and talking about uh, my own story. And so I was talking about my story and then I would, I would go and speak and I'd be like, oh man, like I didn't get like a picture. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> and that happened like probably like five or six more times before I was like really serious about it. But yeah, that's, that was the first step for me was just like, I was like, oh man, like maybe I should share this because maybe like more people will like care and like maybe want to learn. Then, you know, obviously as I started to do that more, uh, I kind of grew and I, I think I'm still like figuring out exactly like who I am on social media sometimes. And maybe that's just like an evolutionary thing. Like you just kind of keep figuring it out. But I'd say like one of the things that I really enjoy most about the space right now is being able to talk about like the work that I really care about and, and the issues that I really care about in adoption, like making sure adoptive and foster parents have the best resources. And then also being able to kind of take this collaborative approach through it, where like adoptees weigh in, adoptive parents weigh in, a foster alum weigh in. And I think that's been like a really powerful part of my social media journey. Um, it's not so much just like the content that I make, but also uh, the collaboration that kind of comes from sharing the journey for me. And I would imagine through social media, you're connecting with so many other folks. And that yeah, has absolutely. Old things. And so many other creators, you know what I mean? So many people who are creating really great content who maybe um, don't get seen as much. Uh, and so it's been like, I remember on Clubhouse, I met so many awesome adoptees that are now creating really great content, uh, but they had never been like speakers in the adoption world. And so I was able to like bring them in to speak to families that use our learning community. I was like, this is a really cool opportunity, like way for to like leverage social media. I mean, that really, that kind of kickstarted me to get like way more involved in social media. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I do want to mention that we, we have several um, birth parents on this call that have placed through our agency. And I think hearing stories such as you guys sharing what inspired you to take that step is really helpful for them. Because I think oftentimes we receive questions of like, I want to do more. I want to use my story in a positive way. And hearing from you is helpful for them to kind of figure out uh, their journey with, with, their, with their experience. Courtney, as a fellow birth mom, can you share for you what inspired you to take that step and use social media in, in your journey with adoption? Honestly, uh, it was all an accident. <laughs> so um, I'm a, a, a bit older. I placed 22 years ago and Google, Facebook, none of that stuff existed. Um, and honestly, birth mom support groups didn't exist. And so my first 18 years in this world, it was just me. Um, I'm quite sure I met other people in the adoption triad, 
but they never talked about it. Um, not only was it not talked about, but there was also this cultural, Black folks don't do that. Um, and so it was very isolating, I guess you could say. Um, I talked about uh, my son's adoption from day one, literally moved into college a few days after giving birth, met my roommate and was like, hi, by the way, I might be emotional because I just gave birth a few days ago. Um, so I've talked about it the entire time. Um, I actually fell into a birth mom support group again on accident. I was working for a company that was doing an adoption training. And I happened to disclose during the training that I was a birth mom. And the person there was like, we do birth mom retreats. And I was like, I'm sorry, what is that? <laughs> what? She's like, we do birth mom retreats. And I was like, oh, but my agency's closed. She's like, it doesn't matter where you placed. It doesn't matter when you placed, you're welcome. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, huh? And I walked in so nervous because I'm an introvert and I'm shy. And these women embraced me wholeheartedly. Um, and that was my first time that I know of meeting other birth moms. And there's this, even though our stories are different, even though our birth children are different ages, even though we all have different backgrounds, there's this connection that only another birth mom understands. And it's so grounding and so fulfilling knowing somebody else out there gets you. So anywho, fast forward, 2020 happens and I wanna start an Instagram page for myself to remind me of my worth, to keep me walking in a positive space. And a few days after creating it, I was like, you know, Courtney, other people need this, right? Like, you don't just need affirmations. Other people need to know they're worthy too. And so that's when I made it a, um, an open Instagram page. Um, and then March, 2020 happened. And I was like, oh my God, the world is gonna end. We're all gonna die. And I have not done these goals I've set for myself, these secret goals. I've never told anybody. I've never spoken out loud, even to myself. And one of those goals was to write and publish a book. And so, you know, I'm literally at a, a cafe and I'm like, well, the world's about to end. So let's get it done. And so in two days, I wrote my children's book um, and ended up publishing it. And then I ended up a birth mom told somebody about me. They asked me to come on their podcast. And on the podcast, I literally connected the dots between my not knowing my worth and how I ended up getting pregnant in high school. And I, I was like, you know, if we all, we could change lives, if we knew how worthy we were. Um, and that is how worthy and birth mom adoption triad became a thing. And here we are, it's literally all an accident and I wouldn't change it for the world. It has been the most beautiful journey getting to meet all these different people from the triad um, and learning and growing together. Because uh, as mentioned at the beginning, it's not always, you know, honeybees and rainbows. Um, and so to be able to have a group of people that understand different facets of the triad has changed my life. So I always love listening to you, Courtney, you, you're so inspiring. And the fact that you combine self-worth with your experience as a birth parent is so powerful in the work that we're all trying to do. So thank you. Uh, Miss Grace, do you want to share what inspired you to kind of hop on social media and get on the same path as some of the other folks on this uh, panel? Yeah, absolutely. My journey with social media and sharing um, about my adoption story was also slower. Um, I was not an avid social media user in general um, until, I mean, this year as Miss Delaware, I've become more active on social media. But in general, my journey, um, I'm an adoptee. And Amanda knows this. I was, I'm an adoptee from the Trolley Square Delaware office with Adoptions from the Heart. And I was adopted in 1999. And growing up, I was only one when I was adopted. So I didn't know anything different coming to America. And I grew up in a predominantly white area and both my parents are white. So it was very soon that I experienced feeling like an outsider, bullying and people telling me that I was different. And not only did I get that because I was in a transracial adoption, but just an adoption in general, Kids have a, a, you know, a way of telling you that 
your parents don't love you and you figure out, you know, that you're different and that your parents aren't your biological parents. So I, it took a while. And when I say a while, I actually mean until like late teens, early, early twenties, and I'm 23 right now. So a while for me to really feel proud of uh, being an adoptee. And for a long time, I tried to almost just hide it because you think um, people will accept me if I just don't talk about it. And if I try to stray away as far as I can from that identity. And I was just getting more depressed, more anxious. And I realized I couldn't do that. Um, but I couldn't figure out the way to get out of that. And luckily, I got connected with more of my heritage, so Vietnamese heritage, Filipino heritage, and that's kind of what opened my mind to finding the confidence because I found um, I found the beauty in the things that made me unique, um, not just being, you know, from different cultures, but being an adoptee in a transracial adoption. So um, with that said, that kind of led to me starting to open up on social media instead of hiding everything. So I think the first video I can recall was uh, a video that my parents have from when I was adopted. They had the full adoption on tape when they went to Vietnam, when they got me, even when the orphanage um, director placed me in their hands. And it's a great video. And I filmed my TV and I put that on social media. And I actually got really good reception. People were saying, thanks for being so vulnerable. This is really sweet. And that made me feel more confident to share that side of my life. So then ever since then, I've been more open with sharing that my story as an adoptee. So when I got the Miss Delaware title this past June, I was working on, we have a thing called Social Impact Initiative, which in short is just us picking a cause that we'd like to work towards helping and advocate for. And I thought that adoption would be perfect. I didn't know how much could be done, but I went to the Trolley Square office and Amanda was awesome. The whole team is awesome there. And they immediately found ways to make me feel like I can also be making, you know, change in the community and not just feel like I'm a voice unheard. So that's when, so really my social media use has excelled exponentially this year with the title and I couldn't be more happy about it because um, I get to promote some fundraising efforts for adoption from the heart on social media and continue to tell my story the good bad and the ugly I mean there's nothing bad about the idea of adoption but unfortunately we live in this world where it's not the perfect process um, for any parts of the triad and so that's that is the beautiful part about social media is that I get to show people the reality and hopefully inspire, you know, different parts of the triad to do their best to make it a better process. And more importantly, the people outside of the triad to be more understanding of those inside. Beautifully said, Grace. Thank you. And how about for you, Taylor? Yeah, so I really started my uh, social media journey with adoption back in 2014. I was going through a really hard time in my life where um, as a transracial adoptee, I really didn't know where my identity was. And I was really struggling with what it meant to be an adoptee. And one of my favorite teachers in high school encouraged me to start writing all my feelings on a blog. And so I was like, okay, I don't know if anyone actually wants to read this, but you know what, it's therapeutic, I'll start writing. And before I knew it, um, my blog was reaching over like 53 countries and I realized that there was such a need for adoptee voices and that while a lot of the um, adoption triad was represented, adoptees were underrepresented. And as a Chinese adoptee, I consider myself part of like the older generation of Chinese adoptees because I, I was adopted like right before the one child policy really took off and really increase the amount of Chinese adoptees. And so that kind of inspired me to start writing more because I realized growing up, I didn't have a lot of adoptees that I could look up to. And I certainly didn't have any Chinese adoptees I could relate to. And so when I started putting out my content, I realized that so many people were interested not only in my story, but also in adoption and wanted to learn more. Um, and so I like to share all sides of adoption. Um, I, I love to share my story and I've been able to grow a community of adoptees, um, those who are interested in adoption and adopt parents and birth parents um, on my pages. And I'm, I'm really thankful for all the support um, and just the ability to share my voice and elevate other adoptees. Wonderful. Thank you so much, guys. I think it's really helpful for our audience to kind of have a better understanding of how you guys 
got to that point, right? Because sometimes when you're in that that mode of whether it's placement or or just initial understanding of your journey, um, it can be really personal, right? So like, how do you get to the point where you're ready to share? When do you get to that point where you're courageous enough to say, I want to reach out and find a community that can better understand me? I know a lot of you spoke about that, of not wanting to feel alone and finding somebody else who can relate to you, whether you are a birth parent, an adoptee, um, an adopted parent, right? Because there's there's struggles in that as well. Um, so it's really helpful for folks to understand the connection of when you got to that point of being ready to do so. So social media, while it can be a wonderful tool, can also have its downsides. <laughs> so can you guys share some of the misconceptions you have faced as a social media influencer? Um, any sort of like negativity or just people may assume certain things. And a lot of what you're talking about is extremely sensitive. I mean, you're sharing such personal pieces to who you are. So I'm curious if you feel like there are misconceptions out there about the social media platform that you're using. I am going to start with you, Courtney, because you look like you may want to say something. <laughs> That's so funny. I was actually looking at Ashley's box because I was like, oh, is she about to unmic herself? What is she going to say? I'm so excited. Ashley knows better. <laughs> um, so for me, honestly, because I'm such a novice at this whole social media thing, um, I haven't really gotten too much negativity. Um, I've gotten a lot of negativity in real life uh, about adoption. And there's a lot of misconceptions about adoption that have been thrown my way. But as far as social media is concerned, it, there hasn't really been anything other than a couple of, oh my God, how could you give your baby away? I, I didn't give my baby away, um, you know, and a lot of education in that way. But thankfully, I haven't had threats. I haven't, you know, gotten clowns in my, in my comment section. So I, I haven't really had too negative of an experience. Has anyone ever followed up with like, why would you share something like that? Like, why would you be so personal? You know, I have not gotten that, but also um, I think if anybody's following me at this point, they know I am an open book. Um, I, I grew up in a culture of secrecy of, you know, you keep family stuff at home. Um, and so when I became an adult, I was like, I'm telling everything because this is for my healing. <laughs> um, so I think anybody that follows me knows they can pretty much ask me anything. And I'm going to be like, yeah, girl, let me tell you. <laughs> so I have not had that. <laughs> That's a good thing. I'm glad to hear that. How about for you, Melissa? Have you faced any sort of, you know, just trouble or just misconceptions that you would like to clear up? Oh, yeah. From like day number one, uh, I think a lot of people have this assumption if adoptees or, or foster youth are talking about adoption, they're ungrateful, and they hate their adoptive parents <laughs> and their birth parents. They, they assume we don't like anybody. <laughs> um, so I've definitely received my fair share of emails and nasty comments and DMs and what have you. And it's usually from people who just have this very stern idea of what they think adoption is and they don't allow any type of nuance so it's either happily ever after or that's it that's not good in their book and it, it can be exhausting over time and it, frustrating and I, I find myself getting um frustrated now and then but I've, I've gotten gotten used to it uh ever since I've started talking about adoption even in my own family it's been a very taboo topic to acknowledge that I was adopted that I'm from another culture so it's just finding that that power in myself and realizing that it doesn't really matter what other people think because there's always going to people be people who are unhappy with what you do in the world and I really try to focus on the support that I receive from other adoptees and even adoptive parents, it's it's definitely counteracted, I think, because as adoptees and even birth parents, and uh, we can get a lot of pressure from 
to share our stories in a certain way. And as soon as we step out of that box, we have to be prepared for what's going to happen because sometimes there's going to be overwhelming support and sometimes there isn't, but you have to make sure that you're in a good space mentally that you either know that you can read the comments and be okay, or that's something that you can't do. So I, I definitely encourage anybody who's deciding to become an influencer to really look at how they are and see how they are affected by negative comments because in, inevitably you'll get one or two throughout your journey, but try not to focus on that because people will always be people at the end of the day. Sure. <laughs> Grace, did you want to add something? I see you raising your hand. Yeah, only because it it hit like so perfectly what you're saying, Melissa, Um, because I'll admit like I'm not an influencer, you know, I wasn't an avid social media user. So I've been developing that thicker skin. And surprisingly enough, the only negative negativity that I've received was actually from people within the triad. And this was interesting because um. So I'm a part of this Facebook group. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it. It's, I think it's like S-A-A-T. Found it on TikTok and it's like subtle Asian American traits or adoptee, something like that, right? And I ended up putting like a, a post in there, which, you know, usually when I do my posts, I don't think too much about it. I just try to get it out and get the idea. And I mean, the general idea was that I was asking for people if they wanted to and felt comfortable sending me quick video because I'm trying to make a TikTok for Miss American December. And I just wanted to really get, include people like their face to show there are tons of adoptees everywhere, right? And with that saying, that's like a quick screenshot, one to two seconds of a video. So I didn't elaborate and say, you know, send me something sharing your story. I just like send me a video waving or something smiling, doesn't matter. And somehow within my post, which was very pretty vague, I said, you know, the my goal with my SII or platform is to get rid of negative stigmas around adoption. And that includes any stigmas, not just that adoption is like a bad process, but, you know, get rid of uh, stigmas that adoptees get, get rid of stigmas about any, you know, process, any aspect of adoption. But the comments that I received, I didn't expect because they were actually from adoptees themselves who had seen my posts and thought that I was extremely content with my personal adoption, my personal adopted parents. And um, I guess they have had traumatic experiences and they weren't so happy reading a post that was what they thought was coming from a really happy adoptee trying to get pot like potentially a false um, happy reading from everybody else just for purpose of media, which on one hand, it was a misunderstanding. Maybe I wrote it in a weird, maybe I didn't clarify it, which is, you know, a part of it. But I just think it was funny when you said, Melissa, that people will always be unhappy with something because I realized if I had a great experience as an adoptee, people didn't like that. If I have a bad experience as an adoptee, like you said, people will think that you're unhappy with everything. So, um, I grew, I had to grow thick skin because at the end of the day, I mean, it was misunderstood. So of course I would never negate traumatic experiences, but it was definitely um, a wake up call because I do not like social media for those reasons, um, just because people have a lot of emotions as they should. And it's a very touchy topic, you know, adoption and, and sharing your story and your vulnerability. So that's just like the thing that came to my head on this topic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Ashley, Isaac, Taylor, do you guys have anything you want to add to this conversation of like, have you ever had a moment where you had to decide whether or not something was too personal to share um, with the public? I'll go. Um, so I've been doing social media a lot um, and quite a few of my videos have gone pretty viral on different platforms, which is amazing. However, the amount of negative comments I've gotten, um, whether those are from other people in the adoption triad, kind of like what Grace said, saying I was doing something wrong, um, that I was wrong for sharing my side, um, or that I don't speak for all adoptees, which I always say this is from my experience and my experience only, every adoptee is different, um, but it really is hard um, when you're sharing so much of your personal story on social media because no matter what you share, 
people are always going to have a comment. And it's gotten to a point where I've gotten very racist comments. I've gotten very hateful. I've gotten hate DMs. Um, and although I do have a thicker skin, there are still comments to this day that really get me. Or there was one adoptive mom that decided to call me out um, for telling her that she shouldn't be sharing her disabled adoptee story online. Um, and it was another Chinese adoptee. So I was very passionate that she shouldn't be exploiting her daughter and all of her videos are very much like that. Um, and the amount of parents that got on me for shaming her, it was overwhelming. Um, and so I think it's really important to remember that in this space, we have to be so supportive of each other and really help because at the end of the day, like, we're the only ones that are going to understand what the other person is kind of going through. And of course, all of our stories are different and we're all going to have our different views but we all are a part of the same triad. So we all need to support each other and be uplifting and not haters. Absolutely. Thank you. Ashley, Isaac. Uh, I'll go and let Isaac finish. He's will be a lot more graceful with his words. Um, uh, I mean, the I hate Ashley Mitchell fan club is alive and well, like you'll all get a mug this Christmas, I'm sure. Um, I've been in this space for about 16 years on social media and um we really pioneered a lot for birth mom voices. It's been, a uh, there's so few of us that have a platform and I'm not, I have this big platform or whatever. Like I said, I'm not even on TikTok because I just can't even figure it out. But um, there were so few voices that were attacking birth mom perspective for sure. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, it is not, as a birth parent, I'm just here to tell you, it is not easy to share. When you, when you have, when your choices have caused, whew, um, when your choices have caused so much harm and have changed generations, I promise you, you are not the favorite person in the room. And so it is not easy to share that voice. Um, there's a couple of things that I've learned that, that I think that are really important. Um, when people are commenting back, they're speaking from a place of hurt. You triggered something in them that is hurting and they need to be seen and heard. And if you come at it defensively, you aren't listening. And so you have the right to share what you want to share. But if you can't um, sit with the people that are responding and, and filter through what that's really about, then I think that you probably need to do a little bit of work on how well you handle yourself in social media. Um, I think every single person has a right to share their parallel lived experience. I've been in an open adoption for 16 years and my son and I are walking very parallel experiences. I've probably misstepped and I've probably overshared. I share pictures with permission, but I know that I can't not share my experience because I know what it looks like when I hold that in and don't share. And so um, I don't share what he's going through at home in his bedroom, but I share what's going on with me in my heart in my bedroom. And a lot of people don't aren't able to filter the difference. And I think that that's something that those that are coming to our platforms and coming to our spaces need to have a heart check about what lived experience we're sharing. Um, and I, we look, tech is a part of it. We live in the court of public opinion. You literally have two seconds to respond or you're slaughtered. Like you don't get a space there's not real investigative reporting. There's no going to the sources. Like you are a court of public opinion and it's you're guilty until proven innocent uh, on social media. You just are. And so for me, it's one of those things to those that want to use social media. I think it's so powerful and so amazing, but you need to understand what is your purpose with it? What's your goal with it? Are you here just to share your story? Are you here for advocacy work? Because they are not the same thing and how you handle people's responses to you change drastically based on whether it's just your personal story or you're trying to help with reform. Um, and I think that matters. I, the, the stuff that's coming to my message, I mean, it would just, um, it's just really hard. And as a birth mom, it's really hard um, because we really are, a little more unpopular in the space because we're the stem of the heart. Like it's just a lot. So um, for birth mothers, especially that want to come into the space and share their story. Um, it's we're, we're not selling t-shirts. We're, we're in the business of families and children and trauma and hurt, and it deserves some time and some patience and some grace. And I just want to call this whole social media community to be a little bit better about that. 
because we're not selling t-shirts. So when you get your I hate Ashley Mitchell <laughs> mug for Christmas, take a picture and tag me and I'll reshare it. <laughs> All right, Isaac, you can close that out. <laughs> Thank you, I, was trying, I was trying to reach for my mug, but I just, you know, <laughs> I actually think you did that really gracefully, Ashley, um, because I, I don't have too much to add here. I will say that I have on a very minimal scale comparatively received hate. Um, and that's only because I think I create a lot less volume of content than you guys, not because uh, people probably wouldn't like hate what I say. Um, so, you know, we're, we're adoptees lived experience and like there, we're not, you know, people tend to have issues with that. I, you know, I resonate with what Grace said. Um, I've seen that happen to other adoptees. Um, you know, I also resonate with like the messages that you guys talked about. Um, you know, a lot of where I've received a lot of my like social media, like kickback, uh, is really more like from like people that I grew up with, family, uh, friends, community that I grew up with has really been like the biggest haters. Um, and that was really early when I first started sharing about my story. Um, and I think now uh, I kind of can kind of get to look at like the flip side of it where I'm like, how do you really, I think right now, less about my own content, more about content in general in the adoption space. I think a lot about like, how do we create meaningful content that really resonates with adoptive parents um, that doesn't trigger across the constellation, right? Uh, because like, there's the triad, but then there's like all these kind of inroads of people that have connection to adoption, like siblings of adoptees, uh, birth parents, siblings of birth parents. And I think that for me right now, uh, I watch all of your guys' pages. So not to be like a stalker, but like a lot of what I kind of sit in right now is just like, I'm really watching the content that's being created and thinking about like ad identity. How could we create really good and meaningful content that uh, is informative and probably will get pushback, but sends the right message home the right way. And I think like for all the creators in this room, you guys know that's super difficult. It's super difficult to try to find a lane here that doesn't send a bunch of haters into your DMs. Um, and maybe there's no way to do it, um, but I'm studying you guys and trying to figure it out. So some of you kind of spoke on this a little bit, but I'm curious, how have your identities been affected by your role through social media? Um, and the second part to that, if your adoption triad has been affected as well. And I'll throw that out to anybody who wants to share. Um, I'll jump in. I think it's really interesting because I'm in a, you know, we're in an open adoption relationship. Uh, my son, uh, my husband and I parent two children. And so my son that I placed has half siblings and he gets to come over and, and spend the night and have open relationships with us. And we've been navigating that open adoption relationship for like a decade. I don't know, forever. It feels like forever. <laughs> it feels like there was never a time before placement, but it's been really interesting with social media when, with a platform that I have, how, however you want to word that to have him come and follow along has been a really complicated thing. And we've had countless questions um, and conversations between his parents and I and him because he is only 16. He wants to go live with me every day. And I'm like, I am not throwing you to the wolves and having you go live with me until you're an adult and can speak for yourself because everyone will say that I put words in your mouth. And I, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And as I'm listening to adult adoptees, I'm like, I like, I don't know. What, like, I don't know. So um, and I also am in a weird space because I have to honor the rules of his household with his parents. And they've had a rule where they don't have, you know, their cell phones and they can't have social media until a certain age and all of those things. And so it's in this weird space where we've had to navigate, first of all, honoring the fact that they don't want their children to have social media and also him wanting to connect with me, but also saying, I don't know if you could filter through what I share as from an advocacy standpoint to what's your actual personal story. And so it's like, if we're missing connection one-on-one -on -one and you're trying to get that through social media, then I think we need to do better job of connecting one-on-one. -on -one. If you have more personal questions that you want to ask, let's do those directly because you're not going to get them from social media. Um, because I use personal experiences that I've been through, but I use that also as a form to help uh, educate on a, on a larger scale where maybe he couldn't filter the same way that um some people could so it's really really complicated um 
you know, when he was younger, he was creating fake accounts and trying to sneak on my account. Like, is this, and so I would call his mom and be like, uh, there's like, I, I'm, I have to honor, I'm not his parents. So I have to honor their rules. And so then I was the bad guy in tattling. Like, it's been a whole thing. Social media has been a whole thing with this, um, with this growing kid. And part of the problem is I think he's, we've tried to protect him so much, but I feel like he feels like he's out on this big secret or something that's being shared about him that he doesn't know or understand. And so we're trying to figure out, I know we've screwed it up. I know we've misstepped. I know we've done so many things wrong. Open adoption is not easy when we're trying to navigate these spaces. And those of us that are in the grind on a pretty daily basis, it's, um, it is not easy. And, and social media is just a whole different level of complicated conversation. Um, so we're figuring it out and just, you know, if he has questions that we've missed one-on-one, let's answer them there before we just send them to the platform and things like that. So, um, but it's tough. It's really tough. And it was not something that I thought was ever going to be. I mean, we didn't have social media when I placed, um, I was 26, his parents aren't on social media, so they're not super active in, on social media. I'll send them posts and pictures and things like that. And I'll have people that tattle on me when I post things, they'll send them that are following me it's a whole thing but so I think that there's just we didn't know you know set almost 17 years ago that social media was going to be a part of our relationship and now we've got a young teenage kid that's curious about social media and so it's been it has been a balance and we don't know what we're doing we don't I've never done this before I don't I mean so I would love any advice that anyone else has, but we're figuring out, I'm trying to honor the rules of his household that he lives in and the parents that are parenting him, but also trying to make sure that he doesn't feel like he's out on a secret or something that's about him. Like, so it's, um, but it is not, it's not been easy. I mean, he knows all of his stuff, but I don't know. It's, it's really complicated. Yeah. It's really tough. Thank you, Ashley. Anybody else want to discuss how their identity has been affected by a lot of what we've been talking about? Yeah, I think social media changed a lot for me in terms of identity, uh, mainly because it's pretty weird, like, just in general, that your life becomes like an online thing. Just like, you know, to be honest, it's like, it's it's weird that somebody can send you a video of you and be like, never knew this about you. <laughs> and so that, that part for me has been really interesting, uh, especially on a family level. And so like extended family has learned a lot about me from social media. Um, And I know that creates awkward inroads for like my parents and for me at times, especially at like family events, which is why, you know, sometimes I'm on eggshells around them. But then I think in terms of like my personal identity, I think for an adoptee, it becomes a really hard balance between like, this is a really heavy part of my life, but this is also something that's now like my job. (laughs) And so... It's like, it's like really confusing, to be honest. I think that's been the biggest impact on my identity is like sometimes when I'm in like adoptee spaces and it's just like us as adoptees, we'll be like, so like, this is weird, right? Like, it's weird that we're doing this. Um, and as, as that, it feels like that at the same time as it feels like really impactful and really uh, amazing to be able to share the experience that I've gone through and hopefully make uh, parenting journeys better. Um, and I think like that's that's the balance for me as an adoptee is being like, man, I've gotten so accustomed to talking about really heavy parts of my life as if they're nothing. Um, and I think for me, it's about finding space to still honor that experience, um, to still like give weight to that experience, to still make sure that I'm not lightening that experience. Um, and really being honest and vulnerable, not only in public spaces, but with myself about how sharing this part of my journey or a part of my journey uh, will affect me. Um, And so I I think that's for me, the impact has had on like how I think about myself, how I think about this journey. Uh, And I'm sure it won't be like the last time that I think about this, to be honest. I'm sure as I continue to make content, you know, I'm about to start a podcast with my mom and I'm sure that's gonna be all kinds of things. Um, And so it's just like, you know, the journey progresses, but uh, I think it is, it is, especially for me as an adoptee, a really hard balance to try to find. Very quick. No, I think um, it has, for me, just helped me find my identity more. 
and feel more confident because, I mean, I talked about trying to find my identity and be confident, um, you know, being an Asian American, but also being an adoptee. And I think it's just helpful to connect with these groups where you have people with these similar experiences. Um, so you don't feel so alone. And it also, as an adoptee, um, even right now, this is helping me too to listen from different people of the triad because believe it or not, I've actually never met um, or gotten to hear from birth moms before. And I I know this is so exciting. And it is really almost like a healing process to use social media to connect with people like this because as an adoptee, a big part of your life is wondering about your own birth mother and the thoughts that went through her head. And for me personally, being an international adoptee, I probably will never get to have interaction with my birth mother. So it's really nice and refreshing and healing to be able to hear your stories um, as, you know, being birth mothers who had to make that hard decision and see that it's not so demonizing. And it wasn't really, um, it was, it was a, a tough thing for you because we usually put it on us. Grace, I'm so happy you said that because I think even for our agency, there was some caution about whether or not we should be doing these types of things and having people put themselves out there in a visual way. And that's exactly the premise we were going by. So many folks in the triad never had the experience of connecting with somebody else in their triad. So having things like this and allowing you to hear these stories, there's so many comparisons. So understanding that can help you in, in your own identity and, and trying to figure out your triad. So thank you for pointing that out. Melissa, were you going to mention something? Yeah, I, I was kind of piggybacking off a little bit of what Ashley said. Um, just as an adoptee, especially an adoptee who's in reunion, I was able to find uh, my birth mother and reconnect with two uh, siblings that were adopted uh, before me through DNA. And my story has been pretty public. I've gotten interviews on news outlets uh, several times and had my story plastered all over there as well as social media. Um, so it, it just, in a way, it, social media has really helped me become more comfortable with who I am and identifying as an adoptee, as a Latina, as multiracial, and has gotten me more comfortable just expressing my story and feeling more at home and who I am but also like I have to navigate those waters because uh, I am also protective of my birth family and my siblings who don't really post on social media about adoption and my birth mother who doesn't even have social media so it's just being very aware of how much is our story to tell how much do we have to protect, you know, other people in our lives that do have, like, want to keep some semblance of privacy, but it's also, too, with my adoptive family and stuff that posting about this and sharing about reunion with my family has definitely opened my eyes to how other people view adoption and how I should act. So it's just something to consider when you're you're sharing your story about uh, like those closest to you and those relationships. You may have to re-navigate certain boundaries, but overall, I think it's been very beneficial and healthy for me because it empowers me to, to feel comfortable with the way my story is and the way I view things. And I'm able to relate with so many other adoptees uh, through like Ashley's profile, for example, like I'm able to understand like my birth mom in a way that I never was before because I didn't have any, any interactions with birth parents. And so I think that's, that's a beautiful uh, piece that we have to think about. Wonderful. Courtney or Taylor, did you have anything else you wanted to add to this topic? I'll just say quickly, I think um, it's a little bit different because my social media following is, is minuscule compared to many of you. Um, and also the fact that like, this is not my job. Um, this is, you know, something I do, you know, at nine o'clock at night for maybe 30 minutes. Um, maybe a 7 p.m. podcast recording. Um, and so I think it's a little bit different in that way. Um, I absolutely agree with, you know, being mindful of your story and that line between their story. Like, for example, my son, I've not seen my son since he was two days old. Um, he has not yet made the decision to meet me, which is fine. I made a huge decision about him. He absolutely gets to make a decision about me. Um, but like, if I'm posting because people do know I'm a birth mom, if I post a photo of him, it's when he was a baby because a baby could be anybody. Um, but I try to be respectful and not 
posting anything um, of him now. Um, I try to be mindful of the stories that I tell. I try to tell my story as opposed to, um, you know, his, what's happening with him or his family. Um, I'm quite sure I have dropped the ball a few times, um, but I try to be as respectful as possible because just because I'm an open book doesn't necessarily mean that he or his family want to be. Um, so I definitely agree with, with being mindful. Um, but again, this is just a very small part. Um, it's a huge part. Being a birth mom is a huge part of my life. Um, but as far as my day-to-day -day, social media is, is small. And so it's, it's not, um, it's not too difficult to deal with yet. Who knows what tomorrow brings? And I was going to say, fast forward a few years, don't you might be. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Can each of you talk about what we can be doing better? And by we, I mean, adoption agencies, adoptive parents who are trying to learn, um, as a, as a general, just what can we be doing better to try to better serve the triad? Um, and, and, and what can we learn to try to just be more positive in, in some of these discussions? Um, all right. So as a transracial adoptee, um, I have been extremely fortunate with how my adoptive parents have, have raised me and treated my adoption. Um, for those who don't know my story, my parents actually moved to China for me. Um, and lived there for seven years. So that way I could experience my birth culture, which meant so much. But through that, it raised a lot of questions and it just raised a lot of things um, about my identity and about myself, where I, I realized that a lot of people who go into transracial adoption go into it with the mindset of color doesn't matter. And with the mindset that love is enough. And I cannot stress how wrong that is. While love is great and that is enough, you live in America, like you live in the real world where people see race and it's so important to have those conversations and it's so important to not have that like colorblind approach when you do adoptions and I can't tell you the amount of people that come on my page and tell me like oh well that your parents were doing too much like that that's just too much and like yes not every parent can move to their child's country of origin and you know I get that but there are so many things that you can do within your own community and within your own household to help your adoptee with their identity and help them feel confident in who they are. Um, and I, I think that's so important for anyone who's wanting to do adoption. At the end of the day, love is not enough when it comes to transracial adoption. And it's okay to see race. It is okay to have those conversations because if you're not willing to have those conversations with your adoptee, other people are, and they're not gonna be as nice. And it's gonna be really hard and like even growing up, I had a lot of mean comments and a lot of mean kids in my life and, and adults say horrible things to me because I'm a transracial adoptee or because they perceive me as what my skin tone is. Um, and so as a whole, I think that's just something people need to be aware of when they want to do adoption, especially transracial. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you for being so raw and honest about that. Other thoughts, other things that may be weighing on your hearts? I think um, like that saying with great power comes great responsibility. I think that is true when we're talking about sharing on social media because those power dynamics come to play even there. So birth parents and adoptees, we're gonna have less power than adoptive parents and adoption professionals because at the end of the day, people are coming into adoption for a reason. They wanna complete their family and that is a very powerful motivator. So I just really urge um, adopted professionals and you know, like I really urge spaces like these where you're incorporating the voices of birth parents and adoptees because that is so pivotal to understanding the full picture of adoption. And while I know like agencies, you're focusing on like opening up adoptions and educating adoptive parents about like the, the methods and the different things that you do, I feel like more agencies and more adoptive parents need to hold space in their platforms for these other voices as well. 
And so like tonight is a great example, but I feel like there's much more of this that needs to be done and share the word, spread the word with your friends, your families, other agencies, other peers that you work with. Um, because the more that we can see the growth of our community through joining together like this, the more progress that we can make together. I just wanted to add to just, it's so easy to forget that we have to separate families before we build forever families. And we got to get straight with that and get educated on that before we step into this. It's just it is it is the nature of adoption it is unavoidable and it's going to happen and the birth moms aren't here to fulfill your dream of motherhood and they need the support and um i think you have to remember that all the things that you're praying for and hoping for and desiring also come with loss great loss of real real people that i, mean, I miss my son every day and it is it has changed who i am forever to the core of who i am for the rest of my life and so when you um, are celebrating and posting and doing things on social media, just think about if she saw what you were posting about and the things that you were wishing for and the plans that you're making come at a great, great cost. And I think that that is still so missed in the dialogue and the conversation. Um, and when you're coming into spaces and coming onto adoptee platforms and you're watching the emotional labor that they're going into to, because you will be raising adoptees that will grow up and become adults that you're paying them for their emotional label and supporting their supporting their platforms and not the expectation that because you're adopting that you're owed the education that they're pouring into you and so just supporting them and paying them and just recognizing that to build your forever family there is great loss in that and it doesn't make you the bad guy but if you can't get straight with that from the beginning then i i feel like we're not even in we're not even having the right conversation couldn't agree more <laughs> thanks ashley I'll just quickly piggyback off of what Taylor said because she really summed it up perfectly. Um, the thoughts of another, you know, interracial adoptee, transracial adoptee. But um, just to kind of enforce what she said, I think for future adoptive parents, because I think I saw some in the chat, my parents didn't move to Vietnam. That would have been awesome, but they did bring me back here and they found a language class. So any way that you can immerse them in their culture is super important because it didn't hit right away. The identity, you know, being proud of the identity, but I did along the way being immersed into, you know, language class with other Vietnamese Americans. And then it encouraged me to get more involved with other, um, other groups and organizations to connect with my culture further down the line. And I think it's really important that you do it early so that they develop a very strong sense of pride in their heritage. Otherwise, I think they're gonna, you know, adoptees might grow up and internalize racism and they might even experience racism and try to just ignore it when they should be standing up for themselves and standing up for others who experience it. So that's that's just my my last words. Thank you, Grace. I'll throw just very quickly um, because it's basically what people have been saying is is diversity um, and adoptions from the heart. Y'all have done a great job. Um, and of course, I'm a little outdated because, you know, the adoption happened happened 22 years ago. However, I have noticed um, in the three and a half, four years that I have been in this space, there's not a lot of diversity in these type of events. And so I think you all are on the right track. I mean, I, I think we need a photo of how diverse we are up on this stage. Like it's beautiful, but I gotta say, this is not the norm, okay? Normally I take a photo and I'm like, oh, am I the only brown, am I the only brown person here? Um, and I think when you're bringing in diversity into these discussions, into these talks, it will help expand knowledge into those that want to jump into adoption. Um, you know, I knew lovely white couple, absolutely lovely, uh, but they put um, baby oil in their black baby's hair. Um, no, that no, no. Um, and so in order to learn, um, yes, there should be some self-education happening, but you know, you don't know what you don't know, but if there's a, a group of diverse people, that can talk about, you know, in my culture, hair is this, in my culture, food is this, I think that will help move along um, into some happier spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're on the right track, lady, and everybody who shared, like, just echoing all of that, too, and yeah, I mean, I think kind of, it's like, it's a, it's a top-down thing, right? Um, at the end of the day, like, agencies hold most of the, most of the weight, and so, you know, I think, 
you know, agencies have to do the right training internally to decide like what they're gonna, what their like ethical stance is gonna be, right? And so that comes to how they support birth parents, that comes to how they support adoptive parents, and that comes down to how they support adoptees. Um, and so I think making sure that you have some kind of North Star is really important for any agency to really guide how you're thinking about doing placements, uh, because birth mother support has been non-existent, and Ashley is pioneering in that space. And then like adoptee support hasn't been huge either. And like, there's an amazing uh, adoptee named Jessica uh, at Spence Chapin in New York, who's pioneering that. And so it's like, you know, we need to kind of take advantage of the fact that there are people that do want to pioneer these amazing support services for adoptees, birth mothers, adopted parents, and really look at that being really the ethical thing to do when it comes to adoption. And I think like conversations like this are a great start to that. Partnerships with these organizations are a great start to this movement. And I know everybody in here tonight is making leaps and bounds towards a really positive adoption world. Thank you so much, Isaac. And I will say, guys, working for an agency, I think we are constantly striving for exactly what you're talking about. And anytime a decision is made, we collectively have to go back to like inherently who are we? right? What is the foundation of our agency? Does this align with our morals and ethics? Does this work for the bigger picture of what we're trying to do? And we're not perfect. We definitely make mistakes and we try to listen to the voices of what people are saying and create our framework around that. Um, and, and to always have respect. I, I remember years ago, I've been doing this, I hit my 10 year anniversary and I never forget Marilyn in our central PA office always told me, you will never do anything unless you respect every member of the triad. And I go into the work that I do all the time thinking about that. Like no matter who I'm connecting with, you have to respect all members of the triad or, or you'll never be able to fully support that client in, in their journey. So um, we appreciate you guys and all that you're offering because we wouldn't be able to progress without you. So thank you. Well, I think on that note, guys, we are going to kind of start wrapping things up. Appreciate all of our guest panelists taking the time to join us. Um, this truly has been an amazing evening. We as an agency do our best to help educate, but we cannot nearly give as much as you guys have given in, in what you have presented this evening. And hearing from voices of folks who have actually lived those experiences is, is truly what this is all about. And I know we have a lot of folks on the call right now that are prospective adoptive parents or birth parents who just placed and are looking for that support. And hearing from you guys is, has been very, very important. So thank you all very much. If you have not listened to our Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast, please feel free to check that out. We're on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. This month, we're bringing you five new episodes with different members of the Adoption Triad. You can continue watching amazing adoption experiences on our AFCH TV episodes. These are broadcasted weekly on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok <laughs> to keep up to date with more of our events and fundraisers. If you did find tonight's presentation to be powerful, um, AFTH has recently started creating online webinars that provide more education for some of these adoption-related topics. We also have released topics and dates for our upcoming Winter Ed series, so please make sure to check that out as well. We do have various support groups for adoptive parents, expecting parents, and birth parents. I think we're going to attempt to also try to do an adoptee support group. Um, so please feel free if you are a member of the triad or you know somebody that could use some support, reach out to our agency and we can see if we can get you into one of those groups. You can learn more about all the amazing, th amazing things that our panelists are doing by following them on social media. Sharing your story is not easy. It's events like tonight and courageous people such as Ashley, Melissa, Grace, Isaac, Courtney, and Taylor to encourage all of us to work harder. We appreciate your vulnerability and your openness to sharing your story. Thank you everyone very much. We appreciate all of you. And on behalf of Adoptions from the Heart, have a very happy holiday season. Thanks.